Again, happy Father's Day to everyone. Um, <laughs> well, that's enough of that. All right. Um, it's a, hey, thank you. It is it is a joy. It's a lot of fun uh, being a father, and a lot of fun. I've been told being a mother, um, you know, and a lot of wonderful things. And I'll tell you. I think you find most of the time <clears throat> that, you know, fathers are only good fathers when, you know, there are good mothers around, and mothers are good mothers when there's good fathers around, and it, it goes together, it goes hand in hand, uh, caring about each other and loving each other, and, and so those are all things to remember, even on Father's Day, to remember, to remember mothers. I think about Ashley often because she's she's outnumbered in our home and she, she spends her life 24 hours a day seven days a week trying to keep Sam and I from killing each other or killing ourselves somehow trying to do this or experimenting with that and uh, and she does a good job so far so uh, that's just the way it goes uh, so I certainly appreciate fathers and certainly appreciate mothers a um, <clears throat> couple things to think about, I'll tell you, both services, I just had a hard time getting going, I'm losing my voice this morning, uh, first service, I was stumbling all over myself, which is really strange, usually they get the good one, and you get uh, whatever we limp into the barn with, but uh, this this week, it's both, uh, no, of course not, but we do have a few kids going to camp this week, and, and we got to recognize them last service. They were here. They were in. Well, we got some standing at the door. Come on up here, guys. Jodas and Maximus. Um, all right. It's going to be life-changing. Uh, also, Gage and Gavin Ham, they're going to Camp Union uh, this week as well. Uh, this week begins our VBS series. Vacation Bible School series, the same lessons that we teach to the kids in Vacation Bible School, although a little different, not, not exactly the same way. Um, we do it kind of on a different level. Uh, but we've done this for a few years now, and I think it's been beneficial. Really, the goal is, number one, it, it informs the rest of the church of, of the lessons and the themes that we're going to have in Vacation Bible School. Uh, but also, you know, your kids or your grandkids or, or kids you interact with are going to be uh, at Vacation Bible School for five nights. They're going to be learning these things, these truths in Scripture. And it's good for you to know. It's good for you to teach and, and to, for you to engage in conversation. Uh, sometimes you're learning something new as we go through these Vacation Bible School series. Other times you're being reminded. Reminded of something you already know or maybe reminded of something you've already learned. A refresher course. And that's the way a lot of these things go. Refresher course for these wonderful truths in Scripture. And so that's what you may experience throughout this series. Our theme for the year is Knights of North Castle. Knights of North Castle. And over the next few weeks, you'll see the stage begin to grow and you'll see Various parts of the church begin to change. Uh, we've already talked about the lessons being taught. Camby and I have already uh, you know, met about that, talked about those things. And, and so you'll begin to see these changes. But the Knights of North Castle, you may put together on your own, uh, is focusing on the armor of God. 
the armor of God. Now, when we look at the armor of God, and you can, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6 if you'd like. The armor of God is found in Ephesians chapter 6, and Paul uses a Roman legionary, heavy infantry, uh, as his model. Now, we're going to use that as well in our lessons and in our understanding, but we're also going to use uh, a knight, knights of the realm, in the uh, high, uh, high medieval period and, and late medieval period. Uh, picture 1200s, all right, roughly, 1200 A.D., that's a great, 1300 A.D., uh, right about that area. That's where you're going, to, we, we, just picture whenever Camelot was made, all right, just do that, all right, that's what you want. And that's going to be that time and that place. And so we're going to kind of compare the two. But I want you to picture this. I want you to picture Paul being under house arrest. Ephesians is what's called a prison epistle. He's under house arrest in Rome. And he's writing a letter to a church, a couple of churches, but Ephesians is one of them, church in Ephesus. And he's under house arrest and guarding this house and really protecting Paul also at the same time, are these Roman legionaries, usually two at a time in case one ha something happens to one. And they have different shifts that they come in and uh, visit with Paul and sort of spend life with Paul. And Paul's doing his ministry to these soldiers as well. He's not just going to waste his time sitting there in the house. He's going to minister to them. In fact, we find from Scripture that through Paul's ministry and other people's ministry, all of Caesar, except for Caesar that we read, all of Caesar's household comes to hear about Jesus through some of these things that happen to Paul. It's an incredible thing when you start putting everything together. But Paul is in this house. He's not in a dungeon, but he's in a house being looked after, guarded by these legionaries. And he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, and as he's sitting at his table, he looks up and he sees a Roman soldier sort of leaning against the edge of the door, looking outside, watching people pass. You know, he's just kind of, you know, doing his job at his post, watching people outside, just kind of inside is Paul. He's at the table and he's sitting down, he's writing his letter and he gets to the very end. He wants to close this thing. He wants to wrap this whole thing up. And he looks up and he sees this soldier. He sees the armor that he has on. He sees the sword. He sees the, the shield that they carry, the helmet that they wear. And he starts putting this soldier onto paper. He says, what a great description of what God does for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there are servants like Paul who give us incredible uh, 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 wisdom that, 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 that are used as your instruments to teach us today. We thank you that we can read and understand, that we can learn. Father, we thank you that we can apply the things that we learn. We ask that you convict us. We ask that you help us to meditate upon what we hear and what we, what we know today. We ask also, Father, as we always do, that we are accurate to your word, true and accurate in all ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So we will be looking at the legionary, the Roman legionary, but also the knights of the realm. You know, interestingly about a knight, and maybe you already know this, I'm sure some of you know this. By the way, I've learned more about knights and jousting in the past two months than I will ever learn in my entire life, okay? And I'm going to use it for this, and I'm probably never going to use it again, all right? So I'm going to talk a lot about knights and jousting. 
However, if you wanted to be a knight, you had to be a nobleman. A nobleman. Those were the only people allowed to be a knight. Those were the only people allowed to serve in that way. And sometimes, at least today, the word noble, and certainly nobleman, has come to uh, represent a certain political standing or a certain uh, standing in the aristocracy or even a, a, a certain amount of wealth that you've accumulated, a nobleman. But of course, that's not really what noble means. That's not where we get the term noble. Noble means this, having or showing fine, good, personal qualities and high moral principles. That's what it means to be noble, to show, to have and to show high moral principles. Now, I don't know where you get your your standard, your own personal standard for your moral principles, but I'll tell you where you ought to get your standard, or I'll tell you what ought to be your standard, is the character of Jesus, what He's like, what He does, what He says, to a certain extent, how He thinks and how He feels. We can gain that from Scripture. That's what it means to have high moral principles. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody in the world is going to agree with you. In fact, the rest of the world that denies Christ certainly isn't going to agree that that ought to be the standard. But in reality, the standard of high moral principles is the character of Jesus Christ. That's what you pursue, who Jesus is, what Jesus is, the way he thinks, what he does. And sometimes that's at odds with the way we think naturally. But he is this picture of high moral principles. That's what it means to be noble. Also, you probably already know what the definition of a servant is. It's simply one who serves others or a person who performs duties for others. If you can't do it, I'll do it. If you can't go, I'll go. If you can't, in the case of a knight, if you can't fight, then I'll fight. If you can't stand, then I will stand for you. That's the servant. What you find is you look at the history of the word knight. Knight was not meant. It was not built. It was not originally describing a nobleman. The word knight was describing a servant. And that's what the word knight means. That's what it's come to mean. A noble servant. A noble servant. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Well, church, if you start reading anywhere and the word is finally or and or therefore or because, you've got to back up a little bit. Make sure you understand the context, either the immediate context or the context of the letter. You know, he's concluding a thought here. He's summing up a thought. What is the thought? Paul has been talking to the church in Ephesus. He has been talking to saved people, people who believe in Jesus, but more to the point, people who are giving over more and more of their heart and their minds to be led through life by the Holy Spirit. I will do what the Holy Spirit wants. I will live the way the Holy Spirit wants. I will pursue the same things that Jesus pursues. And they're giving themselves over to this more and more and more every day. Paul is describing this. He is giving them comfort. He's giving them advice in how to do this. He is helping them be complete. This whole letter talks about completeness. Teleos is the word. B 
Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That word is teleos, be whole and complete, not lacking anything. And if he's going to describe someone who's given their life to Jesus, but more to the point, if he's going to describe someone who has chosen to be led by the Holy Spirit, he says this, you'd better expect spiritual warfare. You'd better expect spiritual warfare. And I hate to do this to you all, but this is personal reflection time. Do you experience spiritual warfare? Is there a struggle? Because Paul tells us, if you're going to be led by the Spirit, you will face this throughout your life. It causes me to stop. It causes me to think. Do I struggle? Is there this battle going on? Or do I just not care? Because it's easy to avoid conflict. Just do whatever the world wants you to do. Anybody can do that. Literally anybody that exists or ever existed can do that. Just do what the world wants you to do. Paul says if you're going to be led by the Spirit, you had better expect spiritual warfare. There is a struggle in the heart and in the mind. I'm telling you, sometimes it even shows itself in a physical way. There are times when it hurts, the heart hurts, the chest hurts. Probably ought to get that checked out, all right? But there are times when it does, doesn't it? Even your body physically is affected sometimes. You don't eat. You don't, you're not hungry. You, it, it, it's affected by this, this, this battle going on in the mind and the heart. Paul says you better expect spiritual warfare if you're going to be led by the Spirit. If you're not going to be led by the, by the Spirit, don't expect it. It's easy. Coast through. Because you'll just do whatever the world wants you to do. He's addressing those who will face spiritual warfare. He says, if that's your condition, then that's what there is to expect. Paul leaves us with a warning. God leaves us with a warning in Ephesians chapter 6. But he also leaves us with instruction. And that instruction gives us hope. God does this all the time. Jesus did this with his disciples just before his crucifixion. He tells them about all the bad stuff that's going to happen in John chapter 16. And then he says, I've told you these things, not so that you'll be scared, so that in me you'll have peace. You'll find peace. Jesus tells them, I know this stuff is coming. I've got this well in hand, fellas. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So there is the warning, but there is also the hope God leaves us with. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Jesus has won, church. The battle's over, okay? The war's over. The war is not something that's going to be won when Jesus returns. It's not something that's going to be won when you die, all right? The war is already won. Jesus has already been crucified and already been raised to life. That's it. There's a reason why on the cross Jesus says, it is finished, It's done. The war's won. The problem is, in creation, we haven't yet fully experienced the extent of that victory yet with our senses. There's still battles that rage. There's still skirmishes that go on in your mind, in your heart, in your homes with your children and grandchildren. These battles continue. I'm reminded, even though the war is won, the battles battles continue. I'm reminded of Adolf Hitler's last command. He committed suicide, right? He dies, the war's over, the war's won. But his last command was, fight till the last man. The war's over, war's won. 
But there's still stuff. There's still battles that are raging. There's still things going on because of this horrible war. So you need to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. There are battles that go on regularly. We have the opportunity, the assurance, and frankly, church, we have the responsibility to trust Jesus and His Word completely. And that trust in the Word of God, you read the Word, you trust it, you apply it. That's what Paul means when he says, be strong in the Lord. That's what he's talking about. You want to get rid of this? That's fine. It's impossible then to be strong in the Lord. Doesn't work that way. Paul's talking about reading and applying to your life. That's the trust you give to the word of Jesus Christ. Be strong in the Lord. We get to trust his strength and we get to trust his power, not our own. I love that. Because Jesus' power is much greater than mine. His wisdom is much greater than mine. His endurance, his perseverance, his conviction, his love, all of these things are so much greater than mine. We get to trust that power. I'll give you an example of this power. We were talking the other day. I was in a Bible study. We were talking about Joshua. There's an incredible story in Joshua. Most of you know in Joshua chapter 10. It's not going to be on your screen, but you can read about it. Joshua chapter 10. The Israelites are fighting the Amorites. And... They've almost got them beat, right? But they're running out of daylight. They're running out of time. And so Joshua prays. He says, God, I need more time. I need more daylight in order to make victory assured. And the power of God, the same power we get to trust, the same God, the same person, the same man that we get to trust stops the rotation of the earth. He says, there you go, Josh." Is that going to work? The Bible says the sun stopped in the sky. There's only one way to do that, right? I mean, you, you do know that, right? Stops. God says, go ahead and finish. Go ahead and win. And then he starts it again. That's the power that you get to trust in spiritual warfare. The same God that stops the earth from spinning without everybody else even knowing it, really. No record of that except from Scripture. Actually, there's a couple records of that. But they're based upon the Israelite history. That's where you get this incredible power. That's the power we get to trust, and that's just one example. We get scared because we don't trust the power of Jesus. We get frustrated and angry and depressed and hopeless because we do not trust the strength and fortitude of Christ. We have to rally to our king. That's what the king did. When the battle looked like the battle was unknown, or looked like maybe the war was lost or the battle was lost, the king would ride out into battle. And everyone, whether it was foot soldiers, whether it was knights, they would rally to their king because they knew that their king was going to make it right again. We have to rally to our king. Though the war is won, we still have skirmishes and we must be protected. What must be protected? What must be protected? Not the physical. Not the physical. If, if you're going through life worrying about, wondering and protecting and do, putting all your time and effort in protecting the physical, you're missing the mark. By the way, you know what it means to miss the mark? Sin. That's what it means. You're missing the mark if all you care about is the physical. He's talking about the real self. The immortal self, the spiritual self, needs to be protected. 
this, this is good, all right? Take care of this. This is our space suit. This is why we, how we can exist in this atmosphere, all right? But every time you have a space something, a space suit, a space capsule, it's all about protecting the thing on the inside. It's the inside that needs to be protected, the spiritual us. Paul says this in Philippians 1. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He is talking about the actual physical death here. He says, if I... He says, if I am to go on living in this body, it will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what will I choose? I do not know. He's talking about the physical death. I want to be gone. I want to be done, says Paul, because my real self then is united with Christ in a way that I can't fully experience right now. It's about the immortal self, the spiritual self. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. That's what he tells the Philippians. So in order to protect the everlasting part, look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. We're going to talk about each one of these pieces and we're going to talk about what they are and how we put them on as we go through this series. But let's slow down on this verse for just one moment. He says, put on the full armor of God. Put on. Put on. We read put on. And what we see is, have someone put it on you. We read, put on, and what we see is, do nothing and expect it to just show up. You are not strengthened. You do not grow in Christ that way. Paul says, no, you put it on. You put it on. Paul says, I'm not going to put it on for you. I can't put it on for you. This is a choice you must make. Putting on the protective spiritual armor of God must be intentional. Church, we do not grow spiritually just by existing. And we don't grow spiritually just by showing up. Showing up is the absolute minimum of existence. Again, literally any creature that has ever been created can do that. What does Paul say? What does Paul say? Put on the protective armor of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. Paul says, I'm not just showing up. I'm not just spinning my wheels and wasting time. I'm not just tilting at windmills. He says, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We have the opportunity to study and to apply. That's what the armor of God comes from, or that's where the armor of God comes from. Now, often this does require help. We have teachers. We have people help us understand. What was Paul talking about last week? Carry the load, right? Carry one another's burdens. It requires help to put it on. A knight would have a squire or a valet dress him, right? Put all the armor on before he was going to engage in battle. But even still, it was at the direction of the knight. It was under the command of the knight. Look, this is what we're going to do today. We are going to dress me. It's important that you make the decision to put it on through study, prayer, and application before you go into battle. Put on what? The full armor of God. 
emphasis on the fold, not just the belt. Don't just put on the shield. Don't just put on the breastplate, but the full armor of God. By the way, when you put on the full armor, it's not even called armor anymore. It's called garniture. Your garniture is on. There's pieces of armor. Then when it goes on, it is the garniture. I learned that over the past two months, by the way, too. And all of this stuff works together. Now this I've learned many years ago. On a Roman soldier, if the belt was not in place, there was no place to hang the sword. If the belt was not in place, there was no place to hang the battle shoes in the back. If the shield was not in place, regardless of the belt, if the shield wasn't in place, he was next to useless when it came to the phalanx. He was the weak link. Without the breastplate or the helmet, again, it didn't matter what armor he had on, he was completely open and exposed to attack with no hope of defense. That's why Paul says, you put on the full armor, and we'll get to the pieces as we go through the series. And why should we do all this? So that you can take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. So that you could take your stand against the devil's evil schemes. So that you can take your stand against attacks. And church, not just any attack. The devil's schemes. The word there is methodia. It means to lie in wait and set a trap. To lie in wait and set a trap for you. Paul says the only way you're going to do that is to be equipped. We've said this before. The enemy you see is dangerous. The enemy you don't see is deadly. 2 Corinthians 11, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Church, the attacks of Satan on us or on our home or on our church is practically never an obvious frontal attack. Never. You think, you think, you think Satan wants to destroy you? He doesn't. Stop thinking Satan wants to destroy you. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to destroy a part of you. And he's going to hit that part and hit that part and hit that part that's not protected. And he's going to hit it until you are okay with it. And then he's going to move on to the next thing. And then the next thing and then the next thing. He's going to whisper to your mind, to your heart, this is okay. It's all right once. Come on, everybody else is doing it. It's really kind of accepted in our culture. And here and here and here. Do you think for a second it's going to be a frontal attack on you? It's never a frontal attack. People say all the time, and I think they're sincere, I will die for what I believe. Try living a day for it. Live a day for it. Forget about dying for it. Dying's once. Living is engaging in battle with Satan every single day, and he is finding the weak place in your mind and your life and in your heart, and that's what he hits, that's what he hits, that's what he hits. He's not after your life. He's after a part of it. And then he's going to destroy the next part, and the next part and the next part. Church, he's got time and patience. He whispers. He whispers. And so what does Paul say? He says, you need to stand your ground because every time Satan whispers, we are in the habit of giving ground. We give ground. That's what the church does. 
And we do it in our homes. And we do it with what's taught. We do it with our influences. We do it with our children. We do it with our culture. And there's a whisper. And there's a chink in the armor. What do we do? We give ground. We give ground. We give ground. We give ground. Since when are we supposed to give ground? Paul says you stand your ground. Do you believe in Jesus? That this is truth. That there is a nobility to your life. A moral compass. And you stand your ground. Are you going to be an enemy? You better believe it. People are going to hate you for this. Make up your mind. You're going to give ground? Who am I yelling at? Me. Right? And you can't go back in time. We give ground. I don't want to give ground anymore. I don't want to give ground when I, when I have a, a, a marriage with my wife. I don't want to give ground when I'm raising my kids. I don't want to give ground when I'm thinking about other people. I don't want to give ground. I want to live to this moral standard of Jesus, and I want to be hated for it. That's trust, because if all this stuff isn't true, <laughs> it's a waste of a life. Paul says, quit giving ground. We give ground in our minds and our hearts because we don't have the armor. We give ground in our minds and our hearts because we don't have all the armor. We give ground because Satan is deceiving us. Anybody, almost anybody, can stand up against a frontal attack. They can stand there. Very few people can stand up when it comes to a little trick here and a little deception there. Don't let your family be moved. Don't let your home be moved. And if you can't control that, don't let yourself be moved. Believe in Jesus and believe till it clear to the end. You know, that's how the Romans took over the world. They had a bunch of soldiers, individuals working together that said, I will not be moved. That's what the enemy of Rome ran into, the phalanx, the wall that they could not penetrate. When I talk about fathers, that's fathers. And of course, that's mothers. Standing in front of your home. Saying, you want to get in here, you got to tangle with me, and I will not be moved. Get back to this. Um, it's in here somewhere. Okay, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Again, it's the enemy you can't see. The spiritual forces in the heavenly realms are far more powerful than I am, far more powerful than you are. So you have to ask, what is protecting you? Where does your strength come from? And really, what is protecting the rest of the world, the rest of the creation, from being completely annihilated? On your own, do you really want to go head-to-head with a spiritual force? Whether good or bad, I don't care. Do you really want to go head-to-head on your own? I'll give you a taste of this. In Acts chapter 19, some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of of Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sheba, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. Seven of them. Seven of them. One day, verse 15, the evil spirit answered back. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but I don't know you. 
Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran, seven of them, ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And that is merely a physical taste of the destructive power of Satan. What about the spiritual destructive power? That's Satan's home field. Trust me, you don't want to go head to head. There's no such thing as a mercy pass with Satan. Mercy pass in jousting was when you would have one of the knights who was beat up, and he was hurt, he was injured, and he would begin, and the other knight would begin, and he would raise his lance, signifying to the other person that he didn't want to get hit. Let me just pass on this one. Let me heal a little bit. We'll come back at it a little bit later. And the opposite knight, if he was a man of high moral character, he let him go. He let him go on by, and then they turn, and they would try it again. That was a mercy pass. There's no mercy pass with Satan. And in all that study, just put that one line in there. But there, th- that was the warning from Paul. But here's also the reassurance, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. He reminds us, he emphasizes once again, anytime something's repeated in Scripture, we need to pay attention. He says it again, put on the full armor of God. There was a belief in medieval days that a knight's purity gave him physical strength and gave him victories. I don't think any of that's true, but the the concept, the general concept behind it is not far off. It's the power and faith and trust in Jesus that allows us to plant ourselves on the line and say, I will not be moved. I'm not going to be unhorsed. I'm not going to be thrown to to the ground in defeat. This won't be on your screen, but listen. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, that is the word of God, and he meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted, where? By streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And after you have done everything to stand, after the battle, after the assault, after what Paul says, fighting the good fight, you will stand victorious on the field of battle. When? That day. That day. Not tomorrow. That day. And then tomorrow. And then that week. And then that season. And in that life. And you will finish the race how? You will finish it well by keeping the faith. Church, you probably already know this. And those of you who know me throughout my life and history know this very well. I have faced both sides of that. The days when I stood on the field victorious. And the days I was a loser. Loser. That's what what you call somebody a loser. A loser. It's about giving your trust over to Jesus. It's about using Jesus as the definition of your life and knowing that it is true regardless of what Satan or anybody else in the world is going to say. Notice something about what Paul writes here. Nothing about this is safe. Nothing he's described here is safe. None of Paul's words brings up images of ease or comfort. If that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for safe or easy You are in the wrong place. At the very least, you're listening to the wrong message. Church, a page or a squire 
didn't want to someday grow up and become a knight because it was easy or safe. They trained to become a knight because it was good. They trained to become a knight because it was then that they knew they could serve their king. It was going to be dangerous. That's why they did it. Next week, we start to look at various pieces of armor. We're going to start with the piece that, that holds everything together, particularly on a Roman legionnaire. If we fail to put on this piece, we may as well leave off everything else. And we're going to see a great example in Scripture. This is the very same lesson your kids are going to learn. A great example in Scripture of three men who quite literally stand up for what is true, even though they knew they were going to be killed for it. And that is noble. That's noble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the peace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the challenge of Jesus the challenge of truth. The challenge says, give your life to me. Trust me. We thank you, Father, that you care about us, you protect us, and you love us. We thank you that there's always one. There's always those who will never bow down to what is false. Help us to be that person. Help us to be fully clad in this incredible strength of the heart that we will give our lives completely over to you, that we will be defined on it. And on that last day, we stand. We stand with confidence. We thank you. We know Jesus has already won the war. Father, let us be that knight. Let us be that incredible representation of our King. We thank you for the challenge today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
Wes, you've got a good team up here all the time, but, you know, Dave is always here, always playing. I just like seeing you up there. I appreciate everything you do. I really do. And you do stuff that nobody else can do. Thank you. I do. The person always shows up. Sometimes we forget about it, and you just, you're just always there. I appreciate that very much. And the Hellfire and Brimstone, that was Sharon's fault. She said she likes it once in a while, right? So that's it for this series. <laughs> Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We love that you love us. We love that we can have hope. But we love that you have a way and a plan, a purpose for every single one of us. That you never let us alone. That you never, you never leave our lives up to chance. That you have protected us and, and you know us by name. And that we can follow Jesus all the way to eternal life. And that is what we ask for, Father. That is this resolve that we want to put in our minds and in our hearts. Help us, Father, this week. We ask in the name of Jesus to meditate upon your word. Uh, meditate upon th this letter from your servant. That we might protect this house, each individual. That we might protect this church. That we might protect our homes. That we might rely upon you, the very one who can stop the world. We thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' name.